0: Thank you, Goma, to our musicians as well, those who helped up here. Good to be here with you, sharing God's Word again. I hope you're ready to uh, find out some new things about Abraham and Lot. So let's turn to Genesis chapter 14, as we continue our look at the contrast between Abraham and Lot. And this is really a story about faith. And this morning we'll read from verses 17 to verse 24. Verse 24. 14 verse 17 and the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shadolomah and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shadar which is the king's dale. Melchizedek king of Salem brought forth bread and wine and he was the priest of the Most High God and he blessed him and said blessed be Abram of the Most High God, Possessor of Heaven and Earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thine hand, and he gave him tithes of all. And the King of Sodom said unto Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods to thyself. And Abram said to the King of Sodom, I have lifted up mine hand unto the Lord, the Most High God, the Possessor of Heaven and Earth, that I will not take from a thread even to a, a shoe latchet, that I will not take anything that is thine, lest thou should say, I have made Abram rich. Save only that which the young men have eaten, and the portion of the men uh, which went with me, Ana, Eskol, and Mamre. Let them take their portion. Go to the Lord in prayer, and we'll commit this time to him. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you once again for your precious word. We pray that you would open up our eyes, our understanding, Help us to have ears to hear the truths you would have us to learn today. And I pray that whatever it is that we learn, Father, that it would go deep into our hearts and bear fruit for your glory. We thank you for your goodness to us. We just thank you for this precious time once again. And I pray that you would use me as an instrument in your hand to bless my brethren here. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, so the beginning of this show, we are completing the uh, chapter 14, which we started last week. And just to recap where we were at last week, we saw that there was a great war that had taken place in Canaan. And it involved nine kings, actually involved more than nine kings, but there was an alliance of nine kings that had been in alliance for about a dozen years. And then after about a dozen years, there were five that became a little bit uh, unhappy about the situation and they said, no, we want nothing more to do with this alliance. And so they broke away from uh, that alliance and uh, Shedul who was probably the greatest out of all the nine, who had probably exacted or extracted money from the rest of them um, as, the, uh, as the guy who was the, the biggest and the, uh, the one who was in control, um, decided as a result of that, that he was probably in a weakened position and he decided to go out and slaughter a whole group of other people that were around him, to make sure that he wasn't going to be attacked on both sides, which he did. And after he attacked a number of different people and slaughtered them, the five that had actually broken away from him said, "Ah, now's a good time for us to actually attack him because he's now weakened. He's just finished fighting all these wars and now we're going to do the same thing. So these five, uh, including Sodom and Gomorrah, including the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah, actually came against him and they lost. And so the the scripture is telling us uh, from the beginning of chapter 14 to Verses 16 that they ended up losing and they fled to a mountain. The kings fled to a mountain obviously with some of their helpers and uh, some of, probably of their princes and that opened up their cities uh, to be defenseless. So Sodom and Gomorrah fell literally and this king, Shedalihama, said alright now is my time to go and take my spoil. Okay, So he's gone to these cities And he's taken everything away, or anything of value. He's rounded it all up, but that included also people. And as part of that, he had taken slaves from Sodom and Gomorrah. And within those slaves, there was a man called Lot, who was taken also away. And he was was taken as, as a slave. He, his family, and all his possessions were taken off to Elam. Okay? Now, when Abram found out that his nephew had been taken captive uh, by the Elamites and by this other group, he didn't wait. He literally rounded up his men. And, I mean, if you want to consider how large a group Abraham was, he was able to round up 318 armed men. Now, That's a decent-sized group of people, and they were all his servants. And so that gives you an idea of how much uh, livestock he had, how much work that was being done in his uh, in his uh, things. So he was considered in his own right someone of, uh, of probably a decent amount of power. So he, he, he armed all of his men. He's, he rode off immediately to, to win back Light and to rescue him, and which he did. And so he met these uh, these four kings. He overcame them. There was a massive slaughter, and they kept on chasing him, from one city to another until they finished them all off, and he won, and so they <clears throat> he returned, and this is where we find ourselves now. He's returning back towards Sodom, towards the place where he was closer to anyway in Canaan, um, with all the goods that had been taken that they had won back, including Lot and his family. And so, question first of all that I'd like to to answer is those the king of Sodom and the king of Gomorrah and the other kings that had fallen, it says they fled. And so just go back to verse 10 with me, just for a moment. And I want to just establish where they fled to. Where did they go? So in verse 10, it says, In the vale of Siddim, where they were fighting their, their particular war, and they probably made a massive mistake because there were slime pits there, so they got bogged down. It says, and the, and the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled and fell there, and they that remained fled to what have you got in your Bibles? The mountain. the mountain. The mountain. Was there only one mountain, or is there which which is which is the mountain? It says they fled to the mountain. So you might ask, where, where is this particular mountain? But the actual answer may be provided to us by who came back with them. Because look at verse 17. It says, And the king of Sodom went out to meet him after his return from the slaughter of Shidelehmah. Okay, so Abram's defeated Shidelehima, he's gone, he's now going back towards Sodom and Gomorrah, and the king of Sodom goes out to meet Abram and of the kings that were with him at the valley of Shaver, which is the king's dale. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, some that's strange, isn't it? Where does this guy come from? Melchizedek wasn't mentioned in the original group. He wasn't in the Nine, he wasn't in the Four. All of a sudden, the the kings of Sodom have come down from that mountain to meet with uh, uh, Abram and to congratulate him on his wonderful victory And with them is this guy called Melchizedek. And he's bringing bread and wine for everyone to eat. So, there's no mention of the king of Salem before. Where did he come from? Probably from the mountain where they had fled to. They came back from that mountain. And so, question. Who is he the king or What is he the king of? It says he is the king of... Salem. Okay? Now, last week I explained to you, Salem was a shortened form of Jerusalem. It was an older form of that word. So he, this particular king, was the king of Jerusalem. Okay? And so they've gone, they've, they've gone up to a mountain to hide themselves. And there they find this king of Jerusalem who came back down with them. And turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> Sorry, 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 31. Is Jerusalem acquainted with a mount? Is Jerusalem a mountain or a hill, according to the Word of God? Let's confirm that first of all. <laughs> 2 Kings chapter 19, verse 31 says, once you find your place I'll have a quick drink. The first part of this sermon is a bit of a uh, fact-finding expedition for us. So it says, For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they shall escape out of Mount Zion. The zeal of the Lord of hosts shall do this. So Jerusalem is equated with and often called Mount Zion. Okay? And so there's this wonderful psalm, if you've ever read Psalm two, that starts with these words Why do the why do the heathen rage and the people imagine the vain things? And then when you get down to verse six it says, Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Who's that speaking about Jesus? That's a prophecy about Jesus. So this King Melchizedek, literally the king of Mount Zion or Jerusalem, comes down from the hill after they had taken refuge with him to a valley called Shavet. Now, it says there, Shaveh is the king's plain. What does Shaved mean? Literally means level and plain. Turn to Luke 3, verse 4 with me for a moment. I remember another place where a king would come when the where the road was made plain for him and made straight for him. So Luke chapter 3, verse 4, we have this passage about John the Baptist, and it says, as it is written in the book of the words of Of Isaiah the prophet saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. You know what that word straight means? Level, flat. And so I don't want to draw too much of a a long bow here, but this king of Jerusalem comes down from a mountain to a place that is flat and level, and his name is Melchizedek. And does Melchizedek mean anything? It literally means the king of righteousness. So this king is called the king of righteousness. He is the king of Mount Zion of Jerusalem. He's come down to the king's plain, which is level. And what did he bring with him? Well, it says in verse 18, He brought forth bread and wine. And he was a priest of the Most High God. So bread and wine, obviously, to refresh Abraham and his, uh, and his men after they celebrated and, the, and to celebrate their monumental victory um, over Shedulamah, uh, a victory that he had won by the grace of God. Bread and wine is no coincidence, I, I suspect, because bread and wine were often used to make uh, agreements and covenants with people, and uh, bread and wine have been used since ancient times, and Jesus even used bread and wine to usher in the new covenant with all of mankind. We see that juice that we have, that grape juice, represents his blood, and the bread represents his body, and that is the institution of a new covenant with mankind. And it says here that this Melchizedek is a priest of the Most High God. Well, how many gods would that be? If you've got the Most High, there's only one, right? Okay, which is the one and only God, and he is a priest to this particular God, but there was no other priesthood. I mean, Aaron hadn't arrived. We're talking at least 400 years before Moses. So Abraham's around, and this guy's already a priest to God. Where does he come from? Well, we're going to find out. In a moment, you see, he was a priest of God, which means, and if you understand his disciples, and some people have been there, that we know. So he's at the... the, He's surrounded by his disciples at a particular time that he literally just rose up into the air and he disappeared into the clouds. And the angel then said, what are you standing up looking like into the sky? This Jesus is going to return the same way he actually went up. Where does he return? The Mount of Olives. And actually, there are plenty of passages in the Bible that speak about when he lands on the Mount of Olives. He literally is going, the ground is going to split open. Okay, So we know where he's going to land. And he will roar out from Zion, from Jerusalem, Okay, and fight. So we have this amazing picture of Christ here. But it says that he is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek in the middle of this particular psalm. Well, Melchizedek was a priest, um, but why would Jesus have to be a priest according to that order? What order is that? An order of priests is a particular type of priest that does a specific job, that has a specific reference. Okay? and reason why they do certain things. So it wasn't, as I've said, the order of Aaron, or the ones that came after Aaron, because that was after That was after the Mosaic law, after the Old Testament that we understand, where God meets uh, Israel on Mount, uh, on, on Mount Sinai, and he gives them all the laws, and they write it all down, and he says, I'm making a covenant with you, and you're going to keep my laws, and I'm going to bless you. It's not that. Before that, what type of priesthood were there? Was there? We don't hear of any really priesthood before the Aaronic priesthood, but this one is an order that he speaks about. So what order then? Well, we don't know any other priest that was part of this particular order. No other one. All we know is that Melchizedek was a priest of this, this order, but there's no mention of any other priest in this order. Turn me to Hebrews chapter 6. Now we're going to look at it a little bit more deeper. The Apostle Paul here, I believe, gives us a lot more information. Hebrews 6, verse 20. We'll just look at that final verse there. It says, "...whither the forerunner for us entered, even Jesus." made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek." So where did Jesus enter? Well, He entered into the heavens okay, for us. And you know what a forerunner is? A forerunner is someone who has gone before the other ones. So He opens the way for them. So the scripture is telling us here that Jesus is the forerunner for us. He has broken through where no man could ever get through before. That's why when he died on that cross, the Bible says that the veil was split from top to bottom and that separated the Holy of Holies and the presence of God from everyone else. And so he broke through for us. He is the first man to enter heaven. The first ever to go into heaven. And so he is our forerunner. And he did that being a high priest after this order of Melchizedek. Now, Okay, let's read on. Look at verse 1 now of Hebrews chapter 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being, by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. So this same king... That's mentioned that is mentioned in Genesis is, is repeated for us here in Hebrews and it says that this king is the king of righteousness and the king of peace um, I'm reminded of a particular passage if you turn to Malachi chapter 4 verse one just keep your keep your finger there in uh, in Hebrews because we're going to go back in a minute. Who is this King of Righteousness? Who is who can rightfully claim to be called the King of Righteousness? Can a man? Are any of you kings of righteousness or queens of righteousness? No. Could it be an angel? No. Malachi chapter four verse one says, "For behold, the day cometh." That shall burn as an oven. And all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, and it shall leave them neither root nor branch. <clears throat> but unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves at the store. Who's that speaking about? Lord Jesus again. He is the Son of Righteousness. He is the King of Righteousness. He is the Prince of Peace. Let's continue. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7 verse 3 now. It says, verse 3, that this man Melchizedek was without father maybe a test tube baby. But hang on a sec. Without mother. Alright, so we've lost that. You can't go there. Without descent. Having neither beginning of days nor end of life. But made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was. Unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. Hang on a sec. Let's break this down. So this particular man who met Abraham... Had no father or mother. Um, that's not a normal human being, is it? And on top of that, he has no lineage. He has no descent. He's not descended from anyone. Um, so you might ask the question again, well, maybe he's an angel. You know what? Because angels don't have any family. They're neither, you know, they, they're not necessarily, they don't have wives, the Bible says. Jesus says that they don't marry, okay, they don't have children, And they don't have descendants. They're not descended from a line. They were created by God directly. Uh, But hang on a sec. It says here that he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. Last time I checked, angels have a beginning. Angels may be eternal beings, but angels definitely have beginning of days. And no angel can claim to be the king of righteousness nor the king of peace. No, this, this, this being... He's eternal in nature, and it says that he is made like unto the Son of God. So, let's just think about that for a moment. According to the writer of Hebrews, what is the Son of God like? What is he like? Well, Son of God, he is the Son of God who is now forever both God and man in union. When the writer of Hebrews wrote Hebrews, he fully understood that Jesus, incorporated within himself, was both God and man, forever wedded into one person. There is no other being in the universe like that. There is only one. He is both God and man. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who died on the cross, was victorious over the grave, and now he bears the scars They say the only man-made thing, there's only one man-made thing in heaven, actually three. The only only man-made things in heaven are the scars in his hands, his feet and his side. He's made like unto the Son of God. Well, Melchizedek was like the Son of God, but not exactly. Because this was the Son of God, not as we know him now as the union of God and man together, as the great redeemer of mankind, as the one who conquered death on that third day. Um, No, this, Melchizedek, this, like unto the Son of God, had no scars on his hands or his feet or his side. He had not gathered his disciples together. He had not died on the cross. He had not ascended into heaven. He had not sent His Holy Spirit to seal those who put their trust in Him. No, this was the Son of God before. He was born of a virgin. This was the Son of God who we will meet again. And Abraham will see again in a later, later chapter. So Jesus is after the order of Melchizedek. The reason Jesus is of that particular order is because He... Melchizedek. And there and that's a, an order of one. He is eternal because he is God. Only God has no beginning or end of days. And look at go back with me to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. Because this prophecy is about the king. And I love the way this puts it in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Because we know from Bethlehem is where the king would be born, the promised one, the descendant of King David. And it says there in Micah 5, 2, But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me that is, to be ruler in Israel. Now look at this phrase. Whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. Whose goings forth? Yeah. The Son of God has been going forth from a long, long time ago. And He's come into this world many times. And He is the link between God the Father and mankind. And one of those times... He came as this king called Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, who was the king of Jerusalem. Turn to John chapter. Turn to John chapter 12, me for a moment. Do you remember when Jesus asked his disciples to get him to get him an ass and a colt of an ass? Yeah. yeah. Do you know what he was doing as he rode into Jerusalem? What he was declaring? Let's have a look at that. John chapter 12, verse 12. On the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet Him. And cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And Jesus, when he had found a young ass, sat thereon, as it is written, "Fear not, daughter of Zion; behold, thy King cometh, sitting on an ass's colt." You know, when Jesus rode into Jerusalem with people waving palm uh, branches, okay, to honor him, this was not just a declaration that he, you know, he had he was the the king. Or he's about to rule Mount Zion, and that he was the rightful king as the descendant of King David. Um, no, no, no. This was this was more than that. This was a homecoming. He was returning to the same place that he had ruled before. This was his. He was coming back to the place that he had ruled as Melchizedek before, two thousand years before. Jesus is already the King of Jerusalem. He has always been. The king of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is already his and it all has always been his. Turn to Revelation chapter 7 with me. Because there's going to come a day when that thing is going to be repeated. That particular event. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. And it happens after this great war. As it happens it happens because he saves his people from that war. Revelation 7:9 it says, After this, I beheld and a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds, and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. Now if you notice in Revelation there's always this thing about this Is There's God sitting on the throne and in the midst of the throne there's a Lamb. Always the same. It's, It's this thing repeated over and over again. So God is, and the Lord Jesus is, both King and do you know what that Lamb represents? His priesthood. Because it's by the Lamb, the intercessor for us, that we were able to approach the throne of God. And so Jesus is both king, the rightful king of Jerusalem and indeed of the entire world. And one day he will rule the entire world when he returns. But he is now for us a priest of the order of Melchizedek before the, um, before the, the, the Aaronic, before the, the, the laws of Moses were given and God made that before that. So we are outside of that as Gentiles that have been brought in. We are under that covenant a new covenant for all of mankind but Jesus is the priest for all of us and for all those who come to God through him so let's go to hebrews chapter 2 now verse 14 as we wrap this up now as we share my my main final point with you And this is what makes Jesus so unique. Hebrews 2.14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood... So so when you have children, they take on flesh and blood like you, right? When you have children, they're the same as you, the same type as you. So for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also that's the Son of God, himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage, captivity. Look at verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels, But he took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor, which means to help, sympathize with them that are tempted what a beautiful picture of a high priest we have in heaven who understands who took on our flesh and our weakness who understands everything we go through who now intercedes for us to the father and who is in the midst of the throne directly accessing god who understands every weakness and infirmity we have who was not an angel, but was God himself, who came down to mankind, the King of Righteousness, the Prince of Peace, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the Lily of the Valley, the Bright and Morning Star. He was called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This is the one that the Bible is all about. That God was going to share one day His own Son with us. And He became one of us so that He could save us. And He intercedes for us. He said every day for us there is no struggle you go through, there is no pain you endure. There's no suffering that you have to go through in your life that he doesn't know and understand fully. He understands every thought in our minds and he sympathises with us. And he's there for us. That's why 1 John 2.1 says, My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous and he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only but also for the sins of the whole world are there any priests that we need are there any other orders of priests that we require is there any other intercessor necessary to be our advocate to the father is there anyone outside the reach of his atoning blood Is there any sin or stain that he can't clean? Is there any other Saviour? The answer to that is no. No and no. And God declares that he knows of no other Saviour. He is the one, he is the only, he is the order of Melchizedek, and he is forever the one. Jesus Christ is the same (laughs) yesterday and today and forever. This verse clearly teaches that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who came into this world to rescue sinners like us. And he came many times. He is the one who walked with Adam and Eve in that garden. He is the one who had to kill those two animals to clothe them after they sinned and fell. He is the one who Isaiah saw on that throne. He is the one that Moses and the elders of Israel saw. He is the one who went before Israel in the desert. He is the rock. And this man, it says, in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 24, This man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save them to the uttermost who come to God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. You want salvation? You want security? Do you want a home in heaven? Then there is no other way to come. He can save you to the uttermost. And there is no higher way or more complete way that, it, that can, you can be saved. In the end of that passage we read at the beginning, the king of Sodom, after they had met together, offered Abraham to take all the goods. And Abraham maybe was being tested there. He said, you know what? I don't need all of your goods. Because if I take your goods, you may come and say that that you made me rich. But Abraham was not rich because of man, but he was rich because of God. And if you have Jesus in your life today, my friend, you are rich. Beyond your wildest understanding. There is no wealth in this world that can compare to what you have in Jesus Christ. If you have received Jesus as your saviour, then there is nothing else you really need. He will grant you more and more blessings every day, but He is the one, the only, that you need. If you have Jesus, you have been blessed beyond anything this world can offer you. Keep your eyes and keep your heart fixed on Him. My question to you this morning is, have you been saved by the King of Righteousness? Have you received salvation from the Prince of Peace? Do you understand what eternal life is and that is being offered to you this morning as a gift? And all you have to do is say, Thank you, I'll take it. That's the difference between the gospel message of the Bible and every other religion in the world. Every religion will try to make you work your way to heaven. The difference is, Jesus says, You can't work, you can't make it. Don't worry. I've done it all for you. Just put your trust in me and accept what I have to give. So this morning, if you have Jesus, then you can have great confidence. You can have a great hope to look forward to in Him when we see Him face to face. You can have a life that is truly blessed because He's in it. If you don't have Jesus this morning, then my friend, the Bible tells us That you are in a precarious position because if you were to die the Bible says that there is one judgment that comes after this and you will have to give an account of your sins and regardless of how good you think you are the Bible says you will never make it and there's only one way that you will have to pay for your sins and that's eternal separation from God in a terrible terrible place all alone so this morning Choose right. Be wise. If God's opened up your eyes this morning, make the decision and make sure you don't leave this this room or this church without knowing where you're going. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. Pastor, for that beautiful, beautiful message this morning, I hope and pray that uh, we are blessed and uh, encouraged by what uh, the message this morning.
1: Shall we all rise in crossing Him?